I'll go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 11. We're continuing, of course, our study of the final revelation that uh, Jesus Christ gave to John to give to us. And we're seeing, of course, the end time events. And in these last few chapters, we've been seeing the seven trumpet judgments. And that's really the last three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation. That's what we've been looking at. If you remember, this is how we broke it down. The Antichrist makes a peace pact with the nation of Israel for seven years, and there's a three and a half years and a three and a half, and then halfway through, the Antichrist breaks the peace pact and claims to be God. In the first three and a half, there is peace, and then followed by war, and followed by famine, and followed by death. Then he puts his idol up. In the first three and a half, 144,000 Jewish people, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes, proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. In the last half, and we saw this last time, there's a, a two witnesses are raised up, and then there's all kind of judgments. And then at the end of the seven years, Jesus Christ comes back. And so that's, that's where we are. And we are, what we said is that uh, regardless of where we are, it'll always bring it back to a point where Jesus Christ comes and, and does that. And last, last week, we saw there were two witnesses, and we don't know who they are. Some people say they think they're Moses and Elijah. We say that they, they do things like Moses and Elijah did, but they were killed, and people were celebrating because they were, they were proclaiming Jesus Christ, and people were celebrating they were dead, but then God raised them from the dead. He, uh, the two witnesses, God raised them up from the dead, and they ascended back into heaven, and go, God is the power. And then we just reminded you in Revelation chapter 6, there were seven seal judgment, and it covered the entire tribulation. So if you said, I want to make sure I understand tribulation time period, if you just read chapter 6, you get the whole, whole thing. Then, as we're looking in chapters 8 and 11, we see the trumpet judgments, and the best that we can understand is they covered the last three and a half years. And so what happens at the end, there's going to be Jesus coming, there's going to be judgment, and there's going to be rewards, and we'll see how that ties together. So when we think about the book of Revelation, let me just remind you that it's a unique book. It's called Apocalyptic literature. When people say the apocalypse, they, and we talked about it at the very start of the study. People say apocalypse. They immediately think of judgment. and think, Apocalypse just means unveiling. That's what the book is. The Revelation is it's apocalyptic literature. It's unveiling. It's, they use a lot of symbols in the book to put things together. We're seeing the, the, the whole flow. If you remember that this is a picture, Jesus died and rose again, ascended to heaven. We're in the church age. There's going to be a rapture in which the church is taken off the face of the earth. After we're taken off the face of the earth, the Antichrist, the man of sin, comes to power. He comes through, and we'll see it this morning. He comes through. There's a 10-king federation. He comes up out of that. He becomes the world ruler. He makes a the peace pact with Israel, and the peace pact is seven years long. If you remember, halfway through, puts his idol up in the temple that will be rebuilt and claims to be God. And when he does that, that everything just goes wild after that. There's great judgments. God brings judgment. And then Jesus Christ comes as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's his first coming to the earth. That's his second coming to the earth. This is his coming in the clouds, the rapture taking us out. When he comes the second time, we'll see it even in our passage, and we're talking about the kingdom has come. That's what he, we're going to see it in there. And Jesus will set up a kingdom. He'll rule for a thousand years. But there's going to be judgment and rewards. There's going to be judgment here and here. There's going to be rewards, and we're going to see that even a little bit this morning. The, the key to the book is, is the word se, is the number seven. We've seen it all the way through. Seven churches, seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, seven special people, seven last things. That's how the book flows together, and we've been seeing all that, and we're getting that flow. This morning, we're going to see 
we're going to start seeing seven special, I call them people, because some of them aren't people, but that's just the best way to describe it. I'll show you as we go through it. We'll see it in just a little bit as we see those seven uh, special people. Here's the outline for our passage for this morning. We're, we're going to start at really verse 15. I, I read verse 14 just to sort of get to the end, but we're going to see the last trumpet judgment. When the judgment sounds, Jesus Christ comes, and we see the, how, how, what happens to the nation, and God judges in the temple, and then he stops, and once again, he gives information, uh, not chronological necessarily, but he gives information about a woman, that's Israel, a child, that's Jesus, and a dragon, that's Satan, and we'll see that this morning as well. There's so much there. You know that when you, we study a book like Revelation, there are all kind of different views and different things. I think if you take it from what we call a historical little grammatical interpretation, it all flows together, and we eventually can put a lot of it together. So as we begin, the two witnesses have been killed. They laid in the, in the, in the street for three and a half days. The unbelievers were rejoicing and, and basically sending gifts to one another because these people were dead and they hated them. And then suddenly God raises them from the dead. They stand up and they ascend into heaven. And, 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 then, there, and then there was this earthquake. Right after they went into heaven, there was an earthquake. And if you look at chapter uh, 11, verse 14, the second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. So the second woe is past. That's verse 11, uh, uh, ch- uh, chapter 11, verse 14. And so he's talking about that. And if you remember, the trumpet six, seven, uh, five, six, and seven were called the three woes. The first woe, the second woe, and the third woe is coming. That's the seventh trumpet. And so that's what he says in verse 14. The seventh, second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming, and the third woe is the seventh trumpet judgment. What's going to happen? Well, look at verse 15, because he blows the trumpet. Look at verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there, was a loud, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. So the angel blows the seventh trumpet, and this is sort of the, the end. And let's just think about it. When we saw the first, the six, the seven seal judgments, when the seven seal judgments were judged, Jesus comes back. When we see the seven trumpet judgments, when the seventh trumpet judgment blows, the, Jesus comes back. Then we're going to see seven bowl judgments. And then when the seventh bowl judgment is listed, here comes Jesus. So they all come together in the book. The first, first seal judgments are the whole tribulation. These last sections all deal with the last half of the tribulation. And we've already been told at, back in chapter 10, verses 6 and 7, that when this trumpet blows, the seventh trumpet, it will be the end of the tribulation and the kingdom will come. And we're going to see that. And notice what it says. When the seventh, then the seventh angel sounded, verse 15 again, there were loud voices in heaven saying, now think about, what if you were John and you were up there and you, you heard it, you saw this, you, you saw all these things and all of a sudden you hear that trumpet blow and then you hear all these voices loud voices saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever 
and ever. I mean, that's what they're saying. And so here, this is the end. And he says here, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and Christ. I want you to notice there's a little distinction there. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord. That's speaking about, I think, the Father. And of his Christ, that's the anointed one, that's the Messiah, that's Jesus. And he, most likely referring back again to Christ, that he will reign forever and ever. Because we know Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he will reign forever. He's going to come, set up a kingdom. This is the promise. All the way back to Genesis 3, the seed of woman will crush the head of the serpent. The seed of woman is Jesus. All the way back, the, son, the, the seed of Abraham is going is to bless the whole world. That's Jesus. The son of David is going to rule as the king. That's, that's Jesus. All the way through the whole Bible, everything is looking for Jesus to be the king. You know, we always say things like, uh, do you want to go to heaven when you die? But in the Old Testament, they didn't say you want to go to heaven. They said you want to be in the kingdom. And the truth is, if we go to heaven, it'll be for a short time because we'll come back to this earth for the thousand-year reign kingdom and then, as Peter calls it, the eternal kingdom that will go on forever and ever. So that's who Jesus is. And so here it is. They, they, they hear these voices saying, here it is. The kingdom has come. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And it's really, really powerful. I wanted to remind you that this is what they're talking about right here. They've been, John's been seeing all this stuff. He's been seeing the last three and a half years. He's been seeing the two witnesses get killed and then raised from the dead. They're going to do that for 1,260 days. That's three and a half years. When the three and a half years is up, that's it. And all of a sudden, and we're going to see later on that the nation of Israel has turned to God and has believed in him and has called upon his name, and he's coming. Jesus is coming as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he will reign forever and ever. Just remember that. He will reign forever and ever. Uh, there's a dictatorship coming, but it's going to be the best one ever because it's going to be Jesus Christ who rules in righteousness and justice. And uh, we'll, we'll see that a, a little bit later, but we're going to see what he does. Look what happens when Jesus comes as the king, verse 16, and the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God. Well, we said the kingdom has moved from heaven to the earth and the 24 elders are around the throne. When, if you not been in the very beginning, when John was taken up into heaven, that's chapter 4, when he got up into heaven, he saw a throne with the Father sitting on the throne and the Son, and 24 thrones, and they called them 24 elders, around the throne. We think that those 24 elders, 12 of them represented the 12 tribes of Israel, and 12 of them rep represented the 12 apostles. So I think they represented the believers, Israel and the church, and they're all around the throne worshiping God. And so it says that when Jesus comes to reign, the 24 elders who sit on their thrones fell on their faces and they worshiped God. And, you know, how often do we fail to thank him and worship him? You know, we come together on a Sunday morning, and I love our music. I love our songs. I love everything about it. Because the, when, when, when Garrett and Sky put all this together, I mean, the goal is for us to worship Jesus Christ. And, and so, how often do we get to do that? I mean, it's just amazing. And so, look what happens when they fell on their faces. Look what they're saying. They say in verse seven, uh, 17, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. Now, see, if you're, if you're not careful, you, you, you may miss it. This is the ruling. This is Jesus coming. 
And you know, we're, we're, we still got a lot to go in the book of Revelation. So just remember that sometimes he'll give the whole tribulation and end it. Sometimes he'll give half of the tribulation and he ends it. Some another time he's going to give another part of it and end it. Sometimes he just stops and he talks about something that happens like the 144,000 or the, the angel and the little book. And we're going to see more and more. In fact, this next chapter, we're going to see seven what I call prominent things, prominent people, prominent something. You, we can call them whatever we want to. But notice it says, we give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty. Why? Because you've begun to reign. It's time for the kingdom. That's going to be a day that all of us will look forward to. Because if, if you die today, your body will be in the grave. To be absent from the body is present with the Lord. You'll be with the Lord. But when Jesus comes as the rapture part, the body will be raised, and we'll be with Jesus, and we'll be with Jesus until the, tri the tribulation is over. And then he'll come back, and we'll come back with him. Do you want to see that? Now, I, I like really talking about this, and we tell you, uh, Jesus is going to come. Look at this. I just wanted to put this up for you. You don't have to turn there. Revelation 19.11. This is where we're going to actually see it happen. I saw heaven open. John said, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it is called what? Faithful and true. There he is. And in righteousness, he judges and wages war. That's him coming to set up the kingdom. This is the time right here. Look at this right here. He's coming to judge and reward. Watch this, Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. I saw thrones, thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. I saw the souls who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast. Remember, Antichrist is going to claim to be God, and people, he wants people to worship him. These are people who did not worship him or his image. They had not received the mark on their foreheads, on their hands. They came to life, and guess what? They get to reign with Christ for how long? For a thousand years, Jesus is coming as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he's going to rule for a thousand years, and then a judgment, and then he will rule for all eternity. And the only way to be in the kingdom is by faith alone in Christ alone, by believing in him for eternal life. He has died on the cross to pay for sin. He has rose, risen from the grave to conquer death, and he offers the gift of eternal life to anyone who will believe. It's not works or goodness or anything. It is faith alone, Christ alone for eternal life. Well, what's going to happen when Jesus comes? We've already seen that, that not, the, the world is not going to like it. In fact, we're going to find out when we get to the end of the book that when Jesus comes, the, the city of Jerusalem is surrounded by the enemies, the Antichrist, and everything. They're all coming to destroy Jerusalem, and they think they're going to destroy Jesus, and he's coming. And look what happens when he comes. Look at verse 18. And the nations were enraged. And your wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. The nations raged. Listen, it's when Jesus comes the second time, people aren't going the, the world, the unbelievers aren't going to be happy. They hate him. They don't believe in him. They follow the Antichrist. And when Jesus comes as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he's coming to judge. There's a thing called the, 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 shepherd, the sheep, separation of the sheep and the goats, and that's when he comes to judge, and we'll talk more about that. But I wanted you to see something. Uh, I'm going to just put this up here. The nations do not turn to God and believe in Jesus Christ. They don't. They reject. It's Psalm 2, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to ask you to turn there. I'm going to turn over to Psalm 2 for a second, and I want to read something to you. This is a psalm describing what God is 
is going to do and how the world looks at him, looks at Jesus. This is, uh, David is writing and he's talking about the Lord's anointed. And in this, listen to this. Why are the nations in an uproar? Why are people devising th vain things? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers counsel against the Lord and against his anointed. The anointed is Jesus. It goes on to say this. The one who sits in heaven, that's God, he laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Verse 6, I have installed my king upon my mountain, my holy mountain, Zion. He says in verse 8, ask of me and I'll give you the nations. Look at, in verse 9 says, you will rule them with a rod of iron. Listen, when Jesus comes, he's coming to rule with a rod of iron. He's coming in power, and he's coming with a dual aspect, and that is to judge. That is a dual aspect of rewarding and judging. Look, read the verse again. Look what he says. And the nations were enraged. This is verse 18. And this is what he says. Your wrath came, and the time came for what? The dead to be judged. That's the unbelievers to be judged. And the time to reward your bondservants, that's the believers, the prophets, the saints, those who fear your name, the small and the great. He's coming to judge and reward at the same time. That's what he does. He comes to judge. There's a dual aspect. Judgment for the unbelievers, that's called the separation of the sheep and the goats. There'll be rewards to the bondservants. Every believer will be rewarded when we stand before Jesus Christ. I want to remind you of something. We're not just going through life. How you live right now is going to have a basis when you stand before your Savior. And that has nothing to do with your salvation. Salvation is a gift. costs us absolutely nothing. It's by grace. We're saved through faith. And when we believe in Jesus Christ, we are saved forever. But how we live this life now, in the power of the Holy Spirit, touching lives for Jesus Christ, one day we're going to stand before him and he's going to either say, we hope, well done, good and faithful servant, or we're going to be ashamed at his coming. Look at this right here. There's going to be a thing called the judgment seat of Christ, which is rewards for us. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we, each one of us, must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's the word for bima, which means rewarding. We will stand before the rewarding seat of Christ so that each one may receive compensation, be recompensed for his deeds, for his actions done in the body, in accordance with what he's done, whether good or, and this word bad doesn't mean sin, it means worthless. When you stand before Jesus Christ, how you lived your life, you'll never stand before him for sin because he's already paid for all sin. You'll stand before him and he'll say either well done or not well done. You'll be rewarded. Look at this right here. Romans 10, Romans 14, 10 for 12. But as for you, why do you judge your brother or sister? Are you as well? Why do you regard your brother or sister with contempt? For we... We will all appear before the judgment seat of God. Same thing. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow. Every tongue will give praise. So each one of us will give an account of himself to God. You're going you're gonna to stand before Jesus Christ, not for salvation, but for rewards. One more place, 1 Corinthians 3, 14 and 15. If anyone's work, which he has built, remains, you're going to get a what? Rewards. It's going to be tested by fire. That's, how it, that's the analogy. You'll stand before Jesus Christ, and if it's done in the power of the Holy Spirit, and, 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 and it will not be burned up, and you'll be rewarded. If it's not done in the power of the Holy Spirit, it'll be burned up. He said if anyone's work is burned up, he'll suffer loss. Loss of rewards, not salvation. For he himself, notice, he himself will be saved, yet only as through fire. 
one of these days, every one of us, each one of us individually will stand before our Savior. And what we want to hear him say is, well done, good and faithful servant. Just remember this. Salvation is a gift by faith in Jesus Christ for eternal life. Rewards are earned based on our works and based on our faithfulness. Wow. So here he's coming. And this passage actually says he's coming to judge and reward. And what we know from the Bible, when he comes to set up the kingdom, there's a thing called the separation of the sheep and the goats. We'll see that. That's in Matthew chapter 25. And the sheep are the believers, and the believers get to go into the kingdom, and the goats are the unbelievers, and they get cast ultimately in the heart of the earth, and then later ultimately into the lake of fire. There's a judgment coming. Now watch this verse 19. This is amazing. And the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened. Now, we said over and over that in the, in, in the heavenly places, there's a temple, and there's an ark, and there's a throne, and all these things are there. And it says, and the temple of God in heaven was opened, and the ark of the covenant appeared in his temple. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and earthquake and great hailstorm. All of this happens. Now, let me remind you of something. That we, we can, he's looking into heaven. We see the temple and the ark. Now, what do you mean the temple and the ark? You remember that on the earth, when the nation of Israel was there, God told them to build a tabernacle or a temple. This is the tabernacle, and which had a place out front to offer sacrifices, and then a front room that had a lampstand and showbread, and then altar of incense, and then a back room, which had the ark of the covenant called the Holy of Holies. And God said, draw this, fix it, and make it just like the one in heaven. You understand that what we saw on the earth where the Jewish people had the tabernacle and later the temple, there, it, there is something just like that in the heavenly places. And John sees it right here. And the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened and the Ark of the Covenant appeared. And so he saw the Ark of the Covenant. And that's what the Ark looked like on earth. Now, here's something. I talked about this about three or four weeks ago, and I just want to remind you again of what this is about. You understand that when Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid for our sins, his blood was shed. The book of Hebrews tells us, and he doesn't tell us when it happened. It says Jesus Christ took his blood into the tabernacle in heaven and poured out his blood. Look at this. Jesus Christ went into the tabernacle in heaven, put out his blood as the payment for our sins. Watch this. When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. See, the one in heaven is greater than the one on the earth. Not made with hands, not as not as his creation. He's not talking about the one on the earth. And not through the blood of goats and calves, because that's what they did on the earth. But through his own blood, look at this, his own blood, he entered the holy place that's in heaven once for all time, having obtained eternal redemption. Do you understand that Jesus took his blood into the, the temple in heaven, poured it out as the payment for our sins and to deal with everything? It is so uh, amazing. We should never get over it. So Jesus poured out his blood for us. In the heavenly tabernacle. Now we got, we stopped there, but we've got to go on just a little bit. And what I want to do is give you a little, a, a kind of a foreshadow of what we're going to get in the next chapter. Because we're going to see, uh, we've seen the seven tr uh, trumpet, we've seen the seven seal judgments and the seven trumpet judgments. They're going to be seven bold judgments. They're going to be bold. 
And these angels are going to pour these bowls out, and the wrath of God is coming. It's the final three and a half years, so we'll see that as well. But in between that, he mentions what I call seven special people. They're not really all people. I want you to see them. There's seven ones that are listed. There's a woman which we think is the nation of Israel. There's a child, which is Christ. There's a dragon, which is Satan. There's Michael, which is the archangel. There's a remnant, which we are the believers. There's a beast, which is the Antichrist. And there's another beast, which is the false prophet. So in the next chapter, we're going to see the next two, couple of chapters, we're going to see these seven, I just call them seven people, but they're, they're not really seven people. And, and what we see in chapter 12, and we're only going to get just, just the start of it. And listen, uh, when I go over it today, you may say, I didn't get it. That's okay. Uh, I want you to see it. We're going to get much more details next week, but we're going to see there's a war on the earth, a war in heaven, and a war back on earth. And we're going to see that in chapter 12. Let's look at the first of that. We're going to see three of these seven things. Look at the first one. Verse 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 1 says, And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. What? Who, what? It's a miracle, a sign, a wonder. He looked. John looks up, and he sees this. And he sees it's a woman. And she's got the, the sun and the moon and the stars and the 12 stars. And listen, when you really look at this, the only thing it could be, and you look back at the different places, go all the way back when Joseph had his dreams and those kind of things, the 12 stars represent the 12 tribes of Israel. This is the nation of Israel. And so most believe that it's symbolic of the nation of Israel, this woman. But look at the next verse. And she was with child. And she cried out being in labor and in pain to give birth. Now what is that? That's the, that Jesus came through who? He came through Mary, but Jesus came from the nation of Israel. Jesus is a Jewish person. This baby is Jesus Christ. So what we're seeing is, and he's given us a big foreshadow, here's the nation of Israel, and here comes the birth of the Messiah, the Savior of the world. That's what, that's what we got. But look at the next verse. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems or seven crowns. Who could this be? Who is the dragon? Who is the red dragon that we see in the book of Revelation? It's, the anti it's, the, it's Satan himself. It's the devil. What does the devil want to do? Look at verse 4 quickly. His tail swept away the third of the stars, and the dragon stood before the woman who's about to give birth, that he would devour her child. He wants to kill the Messiah. We'll talk about it in just a second. But see, here he comes. He's got uh, seven heads and ten horns. Let me just put this up, and we're going to talk about this in detail next week. So if you don't grasp this this morning, don't worry about it. We'll get details next week. I just want you to see this. This Satan is described as having seven heads, ten horns, and seven crowns. Well, the, the seven heads, and, uh, and let, me, let me put the slide up so you can get it. The seven heads represent the seven great Gentile world empires. We'll see it in a little bit. We'll get more detail. If you've ever studied the book of Daniel, you see how the kingdoms and the nations fit together. The ten horns are the ten king federation that comes at the end times. Remember we said that there'll be a ten king federation and the Antichrist will come out of that and he'll claim to be God. That's the ten horns. The seven crowns show the authority. So there are seven Gentile world kingdoms. I want to show you who they are. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greek, 
Rome, and then what we call the revised Roman Empire, which is what happens when the Antichrist takes power. We all know there was Egypt. Egypt was followed by Assyria. Assyria captured the Northern Empire. Babylon captured Assyria. The Medo-Persians captured the Babylonians. The Greco-Macedonians captured the Persians. The Romans captured everything, and this ruled and ruled, and then they disappeared. And there was not a, not a world power after that. And in the future, one day, when the Antichrist comes to power, there will be a ten-king federation, which is the revised Roman Empire, and coming out of that will be the Antichrist and the, the power. If you flip over with me to Revelation chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17. And if you, if you don't want to, just listen. It says, John sees, he was carried away in the spirit into the wilderness. He saw this woman sitting on the scarlet beast. Who's the scarlet beast? That's the dragon. Who is that? That's Satan. Full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. Now you may say, how do I know those seven heads are seven Gentile world empires? Well, if you look down at verse 9 of Revelation 17, here is the mind which is wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. And they are seven kings. Five have fallen... One is, and the other is yet to come. When John wrote it, five of those had fallen, Egypt, Assyria, Babylonian, Medo-Persian, Greco-Macedonian. One is the Roman Empire, and one is to come, the revised Roman Empire. Now, I'll get more details on that next week, so don't go, I didn't get it, because we'll see it next week. So go back, if you wanted to turn, you could go back again to chapter 12, and here's what we see, this dragon... It says, swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw it into the earth. Many people for, for centuries have said this verse means that when Satan fell, he swept a third of the stars, a third of the angels with him, and they became what we call demons. That's what most people say this verse means when it says he took a swept a third of the stars. I, I take that. I say, well, there are demons. There are angels that apparently followed Satan. Uh, we call them demons. We call them fallen angels. And there are a lot of them. Now, we already know that in the book of Revelation, we saw 200 million demon-looking things. So if, that, if 200 million is not a, a, all of the a third that followed, think how many angels, good angels, there really are. It's just, it's just un, unbelievable what's happening. So what do we see? That there's this woman, Israel. She's about to give birth to the Messiah. The devil says, I'm going to destroy that child. He's always tried to stop it. Always tried to stop it. Go back to Genesis 6, tried to stop it. You go to, as you just start, you go through the time of Esther, he tried to wipe out all of the Jewish people. You, you go to all of these different things, Israel, the, uh, you, you just see it. Uh, God will have the victory. Let me give you one last thing just because of time. We, how did Satan try to stop Jesus? Do you remember when Jesus started his ministry, and he went out to John the Baptist, and John the Baptist baptized him, and he said, this fulfills all righteousness. I'm identifying with mankind. Immediately, where did Jesus go? He went out into the wilderness, and he was tempted by who? By Satan. What is Satan's plan? If he could just stop Jesus from going to the cross. That's his plan. He's always tried to stop the Messiah going to the cross. So what does he tell Jesus to do? He says... Go, he wants Jesus to go contrary to the Father. If Jesus goes contrary to the Father, it's called sin. If Jesus sins, he can't be the Savior. So Satan says to Jesus, why don't you change these stones into bread? And Jesus said, 
Yeah, what a, uh, the word of God is what I eat. He said, well, why don't, you, why don't you go up on the temple and jump off, and when you hit the ground, it won't even hurt you, and everybody will think you're the Messiah. And he said, ah, quit it. You don't put the God to the test. And they said, well, I got one more thing. I'll give you the kingdoms of the world if you'll worship me. He's really saying, you can be the king without dying. And Jesus said, be gone. Be gone. See, Jesus knows you. the cross comes before the crown. Satan tried to get him to have the crown without the cross. The cross is the key. He's always tried to stop the plan. And so he, even at the birth of, well, think about it. At the birth of Christ, what happened? Herod killed all the boy babies, two years old and under, and God warned Jesus and warned the family, and they got out. Always tried to stop the plan. Satan attempts to destroy the child who will rule with a rod of iron. Wow. So what are we saying? Let me, let me just give you some application just because of time, but think about this. Let's be ready for God's kingdom to come. You know, let's think about it. Jesus Christ coming, you say, are we going to be with him and then go with the kingdom? Uh, there are two aspects. There's going to be judgment. When the kingdom comes, there's going to be a thing. Uh, there's great white throne judgment. Later, there's going to be the sheep, sheep and the goats at the beginning of the kingdom and then the great white throne judgment at the end. That's for unbelievers. There's going to be the rewards, the judgment seat of Christ for the believers will give an account uh, and get rewarded. So what do we do? Tell others about eternal life, salvation by faith in Christ. You are, would be surprised how many people do not understand the salvation message. They don't. In, in Grow Group, in just a few, just a few minutes, we're going we're gonna to look at a verse that everybody uses for salvation that is not even a salvation verse. It's Romans 10, 9, and 10. We're going to look at it. People use that verse to try to tell people how to be saved, and it's not even a passage dealing with that. So we have to be ready to tell people clearly how to have eternal life. Second, we live our lives for the glory of God. Second, let's realize that there is a spiritual battle going on. I mean, even here, when Jesus is ready to be born, so to speak, there's Satan wanting to destroy him. And it's been a spiritual battle all the way. How do we deal with it? Well, we put on the armor of God, we draw near to God, and we let God do the battle. We've talked about that over and over. And then last but not least, let's give praise and thanks to God for his person in his work. He is the king. He is the one. He has great power. He is ready to rule. The kingdom of our Lord has come to the earth. That's what we see in this passage. And he will reward and judge and let us give praise and honor and thanks and glory to Jesus Christ for who he is, God, and what he has done. He has paid for our sins and given to us eternal life simply by faith. He died and rose again.